One of my favorite assignments that I would give my students is that there are three cell deaths, accidental, suicide, and murder. Welcome to Dog Cancer Answers, where we help you help your dog with cancer. Hello, friend. I'm Molly Jacobson. Today on Dog Cancer Answers, we're looking at something that has a role in both causing cancer and treating cancer, apoptosis. Apoptosis is a good thing that we need to happen, but cancer cells cheat. To explain how all of this works, we're joined by Amanda Kinn. Amanda has been a biology professor for over 16 years and is passionate about science, data, and of course, dogs. Amanda, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. We are going to talk about apoptosis, which I like to call the thing none of us remember from high school biology. Yes, absolutely. And you teach biology, so you are the person to be here with us today. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So I am the daughter of a veterinarian. So that was kind of how science and animals became one of my first loves. But my mother was a concert pianist, so got a giant dose of the creative as well. Went to Ohio State and studied animal studies, thinking that I would go to vet school. Got very interested in research and kind of took a left turn and originally went into a doctoral program and did not realize that funding, research funding is a thing (laughs) when I started my program. (laughs) So uh, funding- You can't just study science. You can't. (laughs) It's just not an unlimited uh, pile of money for you to study whatever you want. Uh, (laughs) So um, ended up, my major professor lost funding halfway through my project, and he kind of said, look, I think we can get you out of here with a master's degree. So that's how I ended up with my master's degree, which is uh, actually in reproductive physiology. And- They say, and now I'm a true believer, that almost more important than your degree title is the first job that you get when you leave college. And I, to make ends meet, was part-time teaching at a local community college in Columbus, Ohio. And that became what my experience was in. So I landed my next job and my next job and my next job. And it was always teaching biology. And so now I am down in Alabama teaching at a community college down here. That's wonderful. And you're a dean. Yes. Uh, so <laughs> went, went through the ranks of administration. I do, I do still teach biology when they need somebody to stand. And like somebody, my favorite is when somebody goes on maternity leave and I get to take some of their classes or, you know, so professor's not feeling well, I'll go fill in on their classes. But now I do a lot of data. So because of my background in research science, I run a lot of the data reporting and statistics and data modeling for the college. So that's a really, really interesting background. And what I love about your background is that you've got all of the science and you've got the heart, Mm -hmm. and then you've got all of this really solid experience of helping people understand through teaching, but also administration is very much... (laughs) A job where you need to understand people and you need to understand how to bring them together. And that's a lot of what we do here at Dog Cancer Answers is help people 
connect to their veterinarians and to the information that they most need at a really critical time in their life. So just, I'm so glad that you're here with us. Absolutely. Managing an illness like that in your dog is managing a giant project with many, many moving parts and the need to understand a lot of things that are probably outside your comfort zone. Right. So now we're going to talk about apoptosis, which is happening all the time, Yes, but we don't even know what it is. And it's got a weird name mm-hmm. and it's yet kind of at the heart of cancer. It is. So why don't you tell us about what is apoptosis? Sure. So apoptosis in a nutshell is a programmed cell death, which seems like a very odd thing. Why would a cell contain a program that tells it to die? And There are a lot of good reasons that we don't think about why cells would need to do that. And one of the most prominent, easy to understand examples is during embryonic development, we all have webbed fingers and toes and there is extra skin running Mm. in between. When we're in the womb. Yep. And everybody looks like Aquaman and you have your webbed fingers and toes. And so through apoptosis and that programmed cell death, that tissue is carefully taken away so that what remains when you're born are your healthy fingers and toes. Okay. So that's a really great illustration. On a daily basis though, what's apoptosis being used for in the body? Sure. On a daily basis, we are turning over billions of cells. Your body has to both make new cells and take away old cells. So anytime that there is a detectable defect in a cell, it can undergo apoptosis. And I'm laughing here, and I was reading our definition on the website about apoptosis versus apoptosis and the different ways that you can pronounce that. (laughs) And so I'll stumble (laughs) as I switch back and forth between the two of them. (laughs) Well, how do you prefer to pronounce it? Because I think, you know, it's a matter of preference or maybe even region. Yeah, it's funny. At every major professor I ever had always said a pop. We got the second P in there. And it's funny because I switched. If I'm just saying the word apoptosis, sometimes I will drop the P. But if I have to do any derivation of the word, I find that I add the P back in. So if I say apoptotic, or apoptogen, uh-huh. then I, I find that P sneaks right back in. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the P maybe needs to be deleted. Agreed. Like a cell that needs to die. That is a very <laughs> good analogy to what they should do to that word. <laughs> oh. Okay. So every day we need to make new cells and we have to get rid of old cells. Yes. Yeah. That should not be here any longer because they are, you said deranged or have a defect. Yeah. All cells kind of live in what I try to explain is like this slurry of there are pro survival signals and there are pro death signals. So pro survival signals are going to be you know, we need more liver cells. So the liver is able to make more cells and regenerate itself. And so we would have a lot of pro-survival signals in the environment of the liver. There are pro-death cells such as 
There are too many of you. Your DNA is defective. You are expressing a gene too much. You are expressing a gene not enough. These are signals that could be categorized as pro-death because there is something defective going on in that cell, and then it would undergo apoptosis in order to eliminate itself from the population and from potentially causing any harm. That's fascinating. I find this so fascinating that all of our cells are sort of these little, I'm a writer, so I'm being creative here. <laughs> I acknowledge <laughs> like there's not brains in cells, but there is intelligence in the way that all of these things work somehow. And that they're checking themselves and saying, am I okay? And then the outside environment is also saying, are you okay? Yes. And if the answer is no, and let someone else do the work, that's good. Am I being too... Um, Flights of fancy? No, 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 no. I am right there with you. I always say, if you have never thought about what a miracle is or what's a modern day miracle, the cell, the development of a cell, the functioning of a cell, embryonic development, all, I mean, the amount of coordination and capability contained in such a tiny, tiny amount of space is nearly unfathomable. Like, you're absolutely right. It is monitoring what's going on the inside. It's monitoring itself. It's monitoring its neighbors. It's monitoring all of the fluid around it. And then there are these larger mechanisms that are monitoring at tissue levels, at organ levels. And they're all coordinated. They're all coordinated. And it is. it really is amazing, all of the tiny little things that we take for granted that are, are happening on such an elegant level. Yeah. In every cell, billions of cells. Yes. So how many cells undergo apoptosis? How many cells sacrifice themselves for the good of the body on a daily basis in a dog or in a human, if whatever number you have off the top of your head? Oh gosh. I, I would say millions, hundreds of millions every day are going to undergo apoptosis. Some for reasons like cancer. Cancer is a great one. If, if there is a destructive mechanism that would lead the cell to begin to rapidly divide, they should automatically undergo apoptosis. And then there are some mechanisms in your body that use apoptosis as a normal part of their functioning. The immune system, for example, has to evaluate T cells which are your cells that protect you from viruses and foreign invaders. But when they're born, they are not born with any kind of like, hey, by the way, you should only attack foreign invaders. They are built to attack everything. So there will be T cells that attack your own tissue. And so by a natural process, those cells have to be deleted. And of course, we can all run that thought out if that mechanism fails and those cells are not deleted and they're allowed out into your system and attack you. That's, that's one of the genesis for autoimmune disease. Oh, so that's why some of these therapies that are used in cancer are also used in autoimmune diseases. Yeah, particularly if it is about increasing... Apitosis. Apitosis. Yeah. Okay. I just sort of jumped the gun there, but that's so <laughs> fascinating. Yeah. I wanted to talk about things that induce apitosis a little bit later on, but that is fascinating. So the T cells 
are born without a memory of what to do. And so they just kind of go crazy until they learn what to do or are deleted. Is that right? It's actually fascinating. The way that T cells develop to get totally off topic um, is that they have this set of genes that they can recombine in practically an infinite amount of combinations. Like it is, you know, to the nth degree, they can just recombine and recombine. And every time they recombine, that's one cell. And so when I teach this in class, I always say something like, this cell recognizes triangle, this cell recognizes square, this cell recognizes octagon. And so we have all these cells that have a shape. And then they're tested. They're tested with a self-protein. So we walk by and we say, triangle, do you recognize this? No, I don't recognize that. Square, do you recognize it? No, I don't recognize that. Octagon, do you recognize it? I do recognize it. I'd like to attack that self-protein. Er, you have to be eliminated. That's going on all the time to test our T cells. Our body is testing our T cells like that. It's happening the most frequently from three, like from the time you're born, it, it gets really ramped up around three years old. It goes on. It does start to decline as we age, but it is a process that is happening in most adults all the time. That is crazy. Yeah. So our T cells are born and then they are supposed to recognize our body cells. And if they don't, they are deleted through apoptosis. Other way around. They're not supposed to recognize your body cells. Right. They're not supposed to recognize it because if they recognize something, they attack it. Correct. So wow. yeah, we are just pumping out these T cells under a random recombination of genetic material. There's no rhyme or reason to it. So inevitably you are going to, in that random recombination, you are going to generate receptors that recognize self proteins and we have to find them and eliminate them before we allow them out to the general circulation. So even the way you're talking about this, it's like there's a a quality control system in the body. And there's like people in the body who are Absolutely. thinking and making decisions and enforcing rules. And they have clipboards and checklists and they say, do we have enough? Do we need to make more? Yes. Do we have too many? Is this yes. working? That's absolutely how I Little engineers. It. Yes. That is absolutely how I explain it when I'm teaching. I'm like, they talk to each other. They have a secret handshake. They say yes. They say no. They say good. They say bad. That's incredible. There's a whole world going on in our body. There's a whole yes. world of activity going on. Yes. And in the dog's body. Yes. Right. Dogs are so similar. Right. Is this the only way that cells die through apoptosis? No. Actually, one of my favorite assignments that I would give my students is that there are three cell deaths, accidental, suicide, and murder. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. It sounds like manslaughter. Yeah, exactly. First degree, <laughs> right. second First degree. degree, second degree. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So we would do like this little SVU assignment and I would let them look at cells under a slide and then I would give them some details and I would say, you know, you're the detective. Did the cell die? Of, it was an accidental death. Was it a suicide or was it murder? And actually... Suicide and murder are both forms of apoptosis, and accidental death is necrosis. So if it's beyond the cell's control, that's accidental. It didn't want to die. It had no intent on dying, but something externally happened to it and killed it, we say, you know, by accident. So that's a necrotic death. And then 
suicide and murder would both be forms of apoptosis. The difference being if something went wrong internally, if the DNA was deficient, that would be suicide. There's also a mechanism whereby other cells can say, there's something wrong with you, you need to die. And so they get an external sign and that's murder. But we see a lot of, when we break it down, the genes and the proteins and all the processes that happen, it's similar, but one is started by internal mechanisms within the cell, that's the suicide, and one is started by external mechanisms by surrounding cells, and that's the murder. So when it's a murder, when other cells tell a cell to die, is it the same genes, the apoptosis genes that are turned on by other cells? Are they able to do that? Or how does that work? How do they murder? So they send, essentially, they will secrete a protein. It's picked up by a receptor on the defective cell. They bring it in like they're getting a piece of mail. They read their mail. Hey, something really wrong with you. To go. It's your time. <laughs> And so then they would oh be God. they would begin to enact their very similar mechanisms of apoptosis as if they were like, I'm not feeling well. There's something very wrong with me. I don't think I can recover from this. It's time to go. And then once that signal is released, we see very similar mechanisms happening. Both of which are apoptosis. Yes, but they both qualify as apoptosis. And just as an aside, histologically, what we normally see is that apoptotic, see, as soon as I derive the word, I get the P back, apoptotic cells tend to blow up and necrotic cells that die by disease tend to shrink in on themselves. So that's why mm. I like to do a little histology slide because sometimes you can just look at a set of cells under the microscope and you can already get a pretty good idea of whether it was accident, suicide, or murder. What's the difference under the microscope between suicide and murder? So suicide and murder would be with a regular microscope that we have in a biology lab, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Okay. The outcome would look the same. Okay. All right. Because it's such a similar process of apoptosis. Let's pause here to hear a word from our sponsors. And we'll be back with Amanda Kin speaking more about apoptosis. And now a message from your dog. Every day with you is like a day at the beach, and I want as many beach days as possible. I want to run and sniff and find a good stick to carry. I want to roll in the grass and warm my belly in the sun. I want to walk with you, run with you, sleep with you, eat with you. And when I eat with you, I want Everpuff. The green, grassy, beef liver spike smell wakes my senses. You may not realize this, but it tastes like homemade gravy, especially when you wet it. It infuses any food you give me with health and life and vibrancy. I can feel it, Everpuff, traveling to every cell in my body, nourishing each one. It helps me feel like I'm on top of the world. I'm so glad you're giving it to me every day because every day I'm so glad to be with you. I wouldn't have it any other way. I want my Everpuff. It just makes me feel good. I am so grateful to be your dog and for the Everpuff you give me. So now that you know what your dog wants, get Everpup, the ultimate dog supplement. Everpup is available in select pet shops and on Amazon. But to get the best price possible, join the Everpup Club at everpupclub.com, where you'll get your first jar for just $8 with free shipping anywhere in the U.S., 
Go to everpupclub.com and use the discount code DPN. That is everpupclub.com. Everpup every day. If your dog has cancer, you need to get a copy of the best-selling animal health book, The Dog Cancer Survival Guide. Because no matter what you've heard, there are always steps that you can take to help your dog fight and maybe even beat cancer. At nearly 500 pages, this comprehensive guide is your complete reference for practical, evidence-based strategies that can optimize the life quality and longevity of your dog. It's written by two of the most respected names in dog cancer, full-spectrum veterinarian Damian Dressler and veterinary oncologist Susan Ettinger. With the Dog Cancer Survival Guide, you'll learn everything that you need to know about conventional treatments, surgery, chemotherapy, and radiation, including how to reduce their side effects. You'll also discover the most effective non-conventional options, including nutraceuticals and supplements and diet, as well as mind-body medicine. What I love most about this book, which I've used with my own dog, Kanga, when she was diagnosed with cancer, is how to analyze the options and develop a specific plan for your own dog based on your dog's type of cancer and your dog's age, your financial budget, as well as your personality. You can get the Dog Cancer Survival Guide wherever books are sold, but if you get it direct from the publisher, you will save 10% when you use the offer code, especially for listeners of this podcast. Just go to dogcancerbook.com, and when you check out, use the promo code PODCAST, and you will save 10%. The website again, dogcancerbook.com, and use the promo code PODCAST to save 10%. I want to let you know about an important newsletter. It's called Dog Cancer News. Now, with a name like that, it is not for everyone. But if your dog has cancer, you will want to subscribe. That's because every issue features articles that will be helpful, such as low-carb dog cancer diet recipes, new clinical trials, financial resources to help pay for cancer care, information on supplements, and lots of other helpful info that your veterinarian may not know or have the time to share with you. Also, when you subscribe to Dog Cancer News, you will get a weekly update on the topics covered on this podcast, along with links and resources. So how much does Dog Cancer News cost? Well, today, you can subscribe for free. It's our gift. For a limited time, you can get a full year's subscription for free. No strings attached. Just go to this website to sign up for the newsletter now, dogcancernews.com. It takes less than 10 seconds to subscribe, and it is totally free. Do it now at dogcancernews.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back with Amanda Kin. Okay, so what does all of this have to do with cancer cells? Absolutely. So 
One of the great discoveries about cancer had to do with a cancer cell, their ability to avoid suicide and murder. So when a cell has a defective DNA, let's say that causes it to multiply rapidly, which is a a hallmark of a cancer cell. We're getting too many cells rapidly dividing in the same area and they're going to end up a tumor. There are so many mechanisms in place to prevent that from happening. Both they should have an internal saying this doesn't feel right and other cells around them will be frantically sending them mail saying something's wrong with you. <laughs> you're, you're going off the rails. Yeah. The homeowners association you're is coming You're living too you. long. Yes. Cut your lawn. <laughs> <laughs> so there should be all these signals. But what we see in cancer cells is that they have repressors on those genes. So they have a way of getting into the DNA and essentially locking up the gene that would allow them to undergo apoptosis. And then we also see the overexpression. There are molecules out there, proteins out there that can inhibit apoptosis. And we see that they're expressing too much of this protein and they're not able to access the genes that would allow them to undergo apoptosis. So even if they know something's wrong, they've been cut away from their machinery and they can't do anything about it. That's incredible. So the cancer cell might actually know that there's something wrong with it and be trying, but unable to start that process. Correct. Because it's been locked away. Yeah. And then other times, if I heard you correctly, that other times it isn't aware that there's something wrong because those signals are not letting that mail come in. (laughs) Yes. So if we see the overexpression of an anti-apoptotic protein, the cell can't tell that there's something wrong because they, they're getting a pro-survival signal. So, And that's that BCL2 is a pro-survival signal. So we talk about that balance between pro-survival and pro-death. So it doesn't matter how many pro-death signals are coming in from your neighbors, you're floating in a pool of pro-survival signals. And then there may be other cases when the gene, and that's that P53 that we always see referenced, that's the apoptosis, one of the main apoptosis genes. I know something's wrong. I'm getting all this mail. I keep trying to break the glass so I can hit the button and they've encased it in cement and I can't get to it. Poor little cell. I know it really, we talk about wanting to assign, you know, sentience to these cells. And when you introduce the mechanisms of a cancer cell, it makes me want to do it even more. Like they're actively out there, like mission impossibling through our system, trying to avoid and go undetected. And then you can make copies of yourself after that. So let's shut down apoptosis and quickly, let's start cloning ourselves. Let's start making more copies of more cells that have the exact same defect. It's the beginning of a tumor. Wow. Okay. So there's this concept that I find very useful called hallmarks of cancer, that every cell that is a cancer cell has things wrong with it that are the same. So that every, no matter where the cell is in the body or what type of cell it is, it's a squamous cell carcinoma or it is a sarcoma, no matter where it's located or what type of cell is the problem cell, it's sharing these same characteristics. And the reason I think it's interesting that all cancer cells share characteristics is because that points us towards all cancer cells 
do these things or have these features. Therefore, we can find treatments that target those features and tie it back to how to prevent, possibly, maybe someday, and treat cancer. So this is why some things help all cancer types, not just one or two. Like we can look at it sort of from a holistic perspective this way. So apoptosis, I assume, is a hallmark of cancer? Absolutely. <laughs> a lack of apoptosis. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the, the inability to undergo those normal reasons you would undergo apoptosis is definitely a hallmark of cancer. And as you pointed out before, also a hallmark of autoimmune diseases. It can be. I wouldn't say it's a hallmark because autoimmune can start for a lot of reasons. Okay. That is just one of the reasons that they can start. One of the reasons. Yes. Okay. So how is this information useful to researchers and clinicians who are treating cancer in humans and also in animals and specifically in dogs? So being a hallmark is great. There are, we are talking in in very broad generalities, but this gets so complex and so complicated on a genetic level and different types of cancers access different proteins and that can be a hallmark for that brand. Okay. And I think a huge part of treatment is getting that correct identification, right? Knowing exactly what kind of cancer that you're dealing with as specifically as you can. So when we know more about apoptosis and we know the specific genes that might get turned on and off for carcinoma, for cancers of the blood, for any of these, you know, ovarian cancers, for any specific cancers, if they have hallmark genes that that brand of cancer is using to avoid apoptosis, that gives us such a great piece of identifying information that can inform researchers and clinicians in treatment plans. Right. It's like if you were going to, if you're going to be an auto mechanic and you're going to work on lots of different cars, you're going to have a lot of parts in stock Mm -hmm. and some will be universal and others not. There might be just a very specific bolt that you need to use on this very specific type of car. Yes. Okay. All right. Great. Thank you so much. Amanda Kin, teacher extraordinaire. It's been so fun (laughs) having you on. I hope you'll come back and teach us more about biology. And really, um, you've done such a wonderful job of bringing this to life and really helping us understand apoptosis in a new way. Thank you. No problem. Well, thank you. It's definitely my pleasure. I so rarely get to talk about these things anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can go back anytime. And thank you, friend, for listening. I hope that this discussion about apoptosis was as enlightening and fun, unexpectedly fun, as it was for me, and that you learned a lot. We will be having Amanda Kin back, and I encourage you to go to dogcancer.com. You can visit the links in the show notes and read all sorts of articles, not just about apoptosis, but other treatments and supplements and foods that help to boost apoptosis when needed and get through that blockade that cancer cells have set up. Please join us on our socials and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Molly Jacobson. And from all of us here at Dog Podcast Network, I'm wishing you and your dog a warm aloha.
Thank you for listening to Dog Cancer Answers. If you'd like to connect, please visit our website at dogcancer.com or call our listener line at 808-868-3200. And here's a friendly reminder that you probably already know. This podcast is provided for informational and educational purposes only. It's not meant to take the place of the advice you receive from your dog's veterinarian. Only veterinarians who examine your dog can give you veterinary advice or diagnose your dog's medical condition. Your reliance on the information you hear on this podcast is solely at your own risk. If your dog has a specific health problem, contact your veterinarian. Also, please keep in mind that veterinary information can change rapidly. Therefore, some information may be out of date. Dog Cancer Answers is a presentation of Maui Media and Associates. Is artificial intelligence going to change veterinary medicine? Well, it already has. Right now on Dog Cancer Answers, we're speaking with Dr. Kelly Deal of Morris Animal Foundation about how AI is impacting veterinary research and the practice of medicine itself. That's on Dog Cancer Answers. Get it wherever you get your podcasts or at dogcancer.com slash podcast.